0: This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. It's great to be here today. It's a great day to be alive. I hope you're enjoying this day. And i got to say, Daylight Savings, does it get any better than this? An extra hour? And I'm always curious because... uh, I get up super early, and so Daylight Savings is kind of a curse. I just get up earlier. And so I'm always curious what people do with their extra hour on Daylight Savings. So let's have a little audience participation for a moment, all right? So let's just, I'm going to ask for a show of hands on a few things. Let's just get the obvious out of the way. How many on Daylight Savings? Oh, Pastor, it's all about sleep. You use it to get that extra hour of sleep. Show of hands, extra hour. Some of you are like, Pastor, quiet down a little bit. I'm trying to sleep even now, right? Like, get an extra hour of sleep. All right, that's good. Many of you. How about the rest of you? It's like, no, I don't sleep. I get up early. Make It's like big breakfast Sunday. How many of you? It's Sunday, daylight savings, big breakfast. Few of you. How about third cup of coffee, third pot of coffee, right? Like, just overindulgence. Okay, get it out today. It's good. Get it out. Uh, how many of you, extra hour, it's like, I'm going to catch up on news sports, weather, social media feeds, anyone for that? All right, last category, last category, I promise, last category. I know everyone, your hands are gonna go up on this. You got this extra hour. How many of this morning said, you know what? I think I'm gonna use that extra hour and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and read my Bible. Oh, mean pastor. Right? Well, I didn't use my extra hour that way either, so it looks like we've still got a lot of work to do in this series. If you're new or if you're visiting with us, we're trying to figure out what this means, what, what it means to have this vibrant spiritual life where we actually say and then do this idea of, of being people of prayer. I'll pray for you and using the time we have, the spare time we have to pray for the people around us. We're five weeks into this series. We're not done yet. We've got a few more weeks left. And hopefully now in the series, you're, you're starting to kind of pick up this, this vibe that prayer can be uh, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In fact, what I'm really after in this idea of prayer is, is having you make a real connection with God. Like not just check the box and I said my prayer before bed or dinners, but actually to have this ability to connect with God in a real and honest way. And so if you're new or visiting with us, we've been looking at people, I've been drawn to the Old Testament because I just feel like the people in the Old Testament, they had, this, they had these crazy encounters with God and they were incredibly real and honest. So we looked in the first week at a guy by the name of Abraham. And wow, does he have a prayer. In fact, he has a prayer with God that looks more like he's negotiating with God. He's, he's pleading with God. He's praying for mercy over these cities of evil, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and i got to tell you, he's not just pleading with God. He's doing really good theology. He knows the justice of God, and he knows the grace of God, and he just keeps pressing into these realities, and he, he won't stop pleading with God. And then we looked at another guy. We looked at Jacob, and Jacob doesn't do any theology in his prayer. In fact, it's very physical. Jacob, it's all about the physical. He wrestles with God, and he's, I don't know, it's kind of like this MMA death match. I mean, he's got God in this, I don't know, like this chokehold until God would bless him. He won't let go of God until he would bless him. His prayer looks very gritty, very aggressive with God. And then last week was probably my favorite character to look at so far, a guy by the name of Moses. And I think Moses is incredibly encouraging, especially if you're, I don't know, if you're at a point in life where you feel like, you know, God's never really, God's never really been kind of the center of your life. Maybe you've been waiting all your life for kind of this like connection with God. It's, it feels like you've kind of passed the apex of life and it hasn't happened yet. And then Moses comes along and he's 80 years old. And at 80, when he thinks his life is washed up and useless, he finally has this spiritual awakening. And it's all because he puts his full attention on God, on the burning bush. Today I want to look at another prayer. But I was thinking about how prayer often comes from these times and these seasons when we feel like we really need God. Let's be honest, prayer kind of ebbs and flows with kind of our feelings and what's going on. I was thinking about how In our world, in my lifetime, I can remember a time when kind of the the spiritual fever of prayer was really, really high, and I wasn't even a pastor then, but it was on the days and weeks and months following uh, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, and I remember that time so vividly because I was in the financial services world, and I had worked in one of the big buildings downtown, and I just remembered wondering, like, is this going to become common? Yeah, planes just keep flying into buildings, and the capital markets kind of eroded, and, and yet church attendance just soared. People flocked to the church, and, and prayer was just such a central part of the church. In fact, I remember having a conversation with the pastor of this church then, and just saying, man, we need to get together and pray. And, and we had these organized nights and times of prayer, and you could just see this, this attention and focus on prayer. And then, you know, a few months go by, and we go to war, and and the capital market stabilized, and and with it, sort of the prayer life diminished. And maybe in this series, part of my hope is that this series would kind of be that catalyst that sort of sparks and charges up your prayer life. Um, but today, I wanted to kind of look at a place in Scripture uh, to really help you when you feel like God is, isn't is out there, when you feel like your life is really dark. In fact, I, I kind of thought early on in the series, I wanted to commit to One psalm in this series and look at one of the psalms. And the one I chose today, i got to be honest with you. I'm going to go out on a limb. You've probably never heard of the guy who wrote this psalm this morning. You may have never even read this psalm. I'll be honest, I've never heard a sermon preached on this psalm. You might find out this morning that that's for good reason. Uh, But this psalm is the darkest place I could find in Scripture. I mean, it's actually, it's the most depressing text I've ever come across in all of scripture. It's hopeless, it's moody, downright depressing. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Aren't you glad? Well, I think this psalm is going to teach for us a really important lesson, and it's going to get at this idea, answering this question for us of how do we pray in our darkest moments? And let's just be honest for a moment. That's, that's when it's hard to admit that we need help, right? Right? I mean, we're Christians, right? And so we think, well, I can't feel this way. I, I can't feel distant. I can't feel dark. I mean, the Lord is my strength, and I'm, I'm in the Lord's army, right? And, and we bind all these cliches instead of just turning to a God when, when things really, really hurt and feel dark. My hope this morning is, is that this message would help you if you find yourself either in darkness now or in times and periods in your life where you feel dark. My other hope is that maybe this message and this psalm in particular will help you to help someone else in their season of darkness. So, if you got a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 88. Uh, You can go ahead and find your way to Psalm 88. And I'll give you a little bit of, well, let me give you a little bit of uh, rock history. This day in rock history. Let me just give you that for a moment. Because this psalm, Psalm 88, actually inspired a classic rock song uh, by none other than Simon and Garfunkel. In fact, uh, this is just, I keep telling you how old I am every week. This is just a little bit before my time. But I remember this song, especially as a kid growing up. There is a line in the song, The Sounds of Silence, that Paul Simon wrote. In the line, it actually, the song begins with this line where he says, "'Hello, darkness, my old friend.'" I've come to talk with you again. You might know that song. In fact, I think that line is actually more of a prayer. In fact, if you listen to that song, it seems as though Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel are actually kind of working out their faith in that tune. And you know how artists are. They don't ever like to tell you the meaning of their songs. But Paul Simon grew up in a religious home, and when asked about the song, he never denied that it could have his spiritual, undertones to it. He also says that it was written right on the heels of the JFK assassination. But those words, hello darkness, my old friend, it's actually interesting when you look at the song, he wrote it uh, when he was a kid, he was in college, and to get the song just right, he actually went into his bathroom, closed the windows, shades down, turned the lights off, and sat on the tile floor, because he said that was the only way he could get the acoustics right for his guitar. Complete, utter darkness. Took him Three months to perfect the lyrics of that song. It actually broke up the band at the time. Okay, that's enough of rock history from Ron this morning. I could go on and on and on, but uh, hopefully you found your way to Psalm 88. Uh, One quick thing about the Psalms, if you can't find them, they're smack dab in the middle of your Bible. In fact, I had a seminary professor that told me uh, that God's word is the inspired word down to us, God's revelation. But the Psalms right in the middle of your Bible are our prayers back up to God. And so you can turn there anytime. Uh, God's prayers, God's psalms are right there for you. Another thing about the psalms that's kind of interesting, every psalm kind of reads like a sitcom. You know what a sitcom is, right? You've You've got the hero, the protagonist, and then you've got some sort of antagonist. You've got some sort of like villain. And then there's sort of a crisis moment, and then it gets resolved all within 30 minutes, right? That's a good sitcom for you. All the psalms read like that. There's a hero, intention, and resolution. There's a lament, and then there's a rejoicing. Every psalm reads like that, except for Psalm 88. It's the only one I can find where the lament is not resolved. So there you have it. It's written by a guy named Haman. We'll come back to him, and I'll give you a little background on him. But Psalm 88, starting in verse 1. He writes, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, Your wrath lies heavily on me. You you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. There's a lot in there. I'll just pause there for a moment because it's pretty heavy. And what I wanted you to see is is kind of all the pronouns. You notice how often he talks about himself. It's a lot of I, 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 me, me, me. I am overwhelmed. I am down in a pit. I am facing death. This is written from a person who's in a real place in his life. And I'll be honest with you in saying that this is hard to preach because good preaching kind of has these elements where where there's a heady intellectual part and, and you learn something new. And then there's a there's a there's a hand application, there's a handoff of the sermon. And then there's also this heart, this emotion. I don't know if you notice it, but this psalm is, is all heart. It's all like the writer here has got these emotions and he's just wearing them on his sleeves. And i got to tell you, I underlined a number of things in this psalm. I'm kind of an underlying kind of guy. And so I just looked at kind of what he was relating to. What was his reality? Well, he knew God. He says in the first verse, God saves me. And verse 2, God, I can pray to you. But that's when things begin to turn dark. He says, I feel down in a pit. I'm like with the dead. mean, it's got like your walking dead references to it. He goes, I'm in the darkest of places. And God, your wrath, it just overwhelms me. He's in such a dark spot, and I, I got to say that there's something about him that I just respect, right? I mean, think about it. He's, he's putting himself out there line after line after line. I mean, how many of us, if we're honest, we get in a dark place, we go through a trial, we have some bad news, and the last thing we want to do is talk about it or tell somebody else about it. I mean, Haman actually puts this down. He, he puts it in a prayer, in a song to be recited. He's putting himself out there, and he keeps coming back to God. This is fun, right? Let's keep going. Let's read some more cheery news from Haman. In fact, drop down to verse 12. Pick up the story here. He says this. He actually begins to to kind of put God on the stand. He cross-examines God. He says, Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor. Here's the line. Darkness is my closest friend. What prayer? ends in darkness. This one. And I think the ones that come from the honest places in our heart, you might be asking this morning, why would I ever read this again, pastor? Oh, that's torture. And what I want to tell you is this is how we're called to live out our prayer life, in real life before God. Now, I've not given you much background on the author, on this guy. I've mentioned his name a few times. His name is Haman, but You might be wondering, so big deal. Who is he and what does he do? Like what's his function in the Bible? Well, Haman is an interesting guy. In fact, um, you might be surprised to know that he's actually a pastor. He's a worship leader of sorts. And he comes from a group, a, a tribe, a group of people that their sole responsibility was to write songs of praise and prayer for God's people. Uh, think of him as a, a pastor, a worship leader, or someone on a church staff. And their one job, his one job was to bring people closer to God. Now, this isn't the only psalm he wrote. In fact, he, he wrote, his group wrote about 12 other hits that are right in those psalm books in your Bible. But this is kind of where he's at right now. And I want to talk about darkness this morning. And this brings uh, about my first point. My first thought on darkness is when it comes to darkness you need to know that no one is immune to darkness. And maybe the difficult reality this morning is that darkness can last a long time. I mean, he says in that verse 15, he says, from my youth I have suffered. I don't really know exactly what he means by that. Like if ever since he was a child he's felt this darkness or if he's just using it metaphorically. We, we don't know, but we, we can assume that he's in a place and he's been there For quite some time I want to allow that to kind of sink in and and not as bad news but as good news this morning because if you find yourself there and you feel like man I'm I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and and I'm doing all the right things and yet I still haven't had that breakthrough yet then you're in good company you're in the company of Haman and a person who who has gone to the deep waters of of his soul and of crying out to God I think we live in a time and a day where we can experience that, that darkness around us. In fact, um, I need to make a distinction this morning because sometimes we can, we can kind of feel darkness and it can either be internal or external, just the easiest way to think about it. Sometimes there's a darkness that's internal and it has to do with kind of our, our mood and where we're at and kind of our thought life and kind of the interior of who we are. And I'll be honest with you, as your pastor, I don't, I don't really have a lot of struggles with that. I, I'm... Mostly in a pretty good mood, usually a smile on my face. But there's also an external darkness to be aware of. That we can have darkness that sort of kind of changes the way we feel based on what's going on uh, circumstantially around us. Just call it the world we live in, right? I mean, yikes, don't look at the news. And, And, you know, just kind of be aware that that could have a very down effect on you. And I'll be honest in saying that's what gets me. Not the inside, not the interior thoughts and ideas. I'm pretty good there, but I can look at the world and I can get cynical. I can get frustrated. I can get angry. And in fact, I don't need to remind you as Justin already did. Of course, I'm Mildred. You need to know that, right? But aside from that, you know, we're in this election season and it's important. I I say the same thing every year. I I try to be consistent as your pastor and encourage you as, as a church body and as a Christian to do three things. Number one, get informed. Get informed on the people and the proposals that are being put before us. And then get out there and vote. Do your civic duty. It's important. It matters. And then finally, i got to remind you as well to love your neighbor, right? Like this is a season where tension and emotions are really, really high. And and I think people are going to look at the church and say, well, how, how do they do? How are they doing at loving the people around them? So, I want to encourage you to, to love well, even if it's difficult for you to love in this season. I know, it's, it's hard for me. I, I look at the world and, and I can't believe, I mean, the unborn in life, it should be protected, and yet it becomes debated. I look at the world around us, and I'll just be honest, we seem to be more concerned about getting someone's pronouns right than fixing the problems that we have around us. I look at the world, I look at geopolitical instability. I've shared from the pulpit, I've got three kids in the military, and, you know, I think about war a little a little bit more than I had before. I think about how I read these reports about how underfunded our military is. I talk to my kids on the phone, and, and I hear them say things like, yeah, I, I was supposed to get this training, but our budgets got cut. And I just think, you know, this is kind of a, a very interesting and very difficult time in our world. In many ways, I feel like we could be living out these pages and these verses of Psalm 88. So what do we do? And in fact, how do we we make sense, like, theologically about this? Like, what's going on? And maybe this brings about the question that maybe you've been thinking all morning, which is, how does this relate to, like, the demonic and demons and the devil? And come on, pastor, like, help me out. I feel like I've just kind of plunged myself into this, world that's all just spiritual, and I don't know how to wage war in a spiritual sense. So let's talk about that for a few moments this morning. In fact, um, we do live in a world that has a very clear spiritual role, and we do have an antagonist. We do have the devil that comes against our world. In fact, Paul says in the scripture that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities of darkness. In fact, Satan is clear. He comes and he only has a plan to kill and steal and destroy. But as your pastor, I want to be really careful in this moment as well because I don't want to give the devil more credit than he's due. So let's just kind of ask this question. Is all the darkness demonic? And I want to be really clear this morning with an emphatic, no, not all darkness is the cause of demonic. I think Christians get confused by this. They think that because God is all-knowing and all-powerful and in all places at all times, that's the omnis, God is omni, uh, Satan is not. The devil is not in all places at all times. He's not all-powerful. In fact, he stands defeated. And so then what's going on in our world? Well, you need to know that the devil only has really three tactics, only three techniques. He can get you to believe that he's not here. I think he's done an effective job in our world today of doing that. He can use a greater tactic, which is to scare you, to frighten you. Or the devil can just simply say, compromise. Let's make a deal. Let's get you to give into the darkness that's around you. But that's as much credit as I want to give the devil. In fact, I want to be really clear this morning that it's not all that. In fact, we live in a sinful, fallen world and sin rules this life. In fact, darkness pervades the life, and our light as Christians is what shines through. I'll try to give you an example. Maybe this will make uh, more sense out of this, but uh, I'm still processing this, so kind of give me some grace as I, I tell this story. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I went for a run, and I told you I don't sleep well, so I got up early, like really early, and I went for a run, and that's like headlight weather. Like it's 5:30 in the morning. I'm only about a mile from the White Pine Trail, so I like to get up early, it's super quiet, and I'll go get on the White Pine Trail, go for a run. And uh, this morning was like any other morning, I, I put my headphones in, and I was listening to something that was on my technical little watch here, and, and I went out the door, and I went for a run, and I, I got about a mile up the road and jumped on the White Pine Trail like a normal, everyday sort of run, and until I, I got on the trail a little ways, and then about, I don't know, 20 yards in front of me, uh, from about me to the back wall, all of a sudden, I see... Headlights. They turn on. I'm on the White Pine Trail, mind you. Like, there should not be any cars on the White Pine Trail. And all of a sudden, the lights go on, the car starts up, the engine revs. I'm not making this up. And the car comes screaming towards me as fast as it could get going from here to the wall. And then, as the car is coming at me, it veers to hit me. I jump off the White Pine Trail. And for some reason, I thought it would be a good idea to swing at the vehicle with my, with my fist. <laughs> I fortunately missed, because I'm not sure what would have happened to my wrist if I had hit it. And I may have said some things that were just not the most redemptive in the moment. I'll just leave it at that. The adrenaline was running high in my body at that point, And I didn't know what had happened. Like, this is freaky. And it dawns on me that maybe the headlights went on, and something was happening up there... And so I run towards the darkness, not knowing what I'm going to find in the darkness. I hadn't thought this all the way through, mind you. And I got up a little ways, and fortunately, there was nothing there. But that car had stopped on the White Pine Trail. And now it's like, I can't go backwards. It's about a mile or two north before I see anything. And that's when I decide, I should probably get out my phone. Novel idea. I reach in my pocket. I kid you not, no phone. First time ever that I went for a run without my phone. My headphones were playing off my watch, like I said, so I just left without it. And I was going to snap a picture or call 911, or I don't know what I was going to do, but fortunately, uh, well, unfortunately, the car took off and kept going down the White Pine Trail. I finished my run. I went back home, and I called the Rockford police post, and reported this incident. They said that oftentimes cars get turned the wrong way on the White Pine Trail. I said, yes, but they don't normally try to take out a runner at 5.30 in the morning, so I'll leave it at that. Now, here's the thing. Here's this whole story. Let me try to make sense of it. Um, was that demonic? I don't know. I didn't see a pitchfork. It wasn't very red. It just it seemed like it was evil. And I'll just simply say, sinful people... Do sinful things in a fallen world. So we have two things going on. Yes, we have the demonic. The darkness can be the demonic, but it can also just be the consequence of living in a sinful world. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to leave here just with that one story. In fact, my whole point telling you that is what do we do when we have things that either scare us or distract us or or get us thinking about what's going on? Well, does it cause us to want to just, you know, curl up, you know, suck our thumbs and say, well, I can't do anything about this? Fallen world. I can't do anything about the demonic. I guess I can't go for a run at 5:30 in the morning anymore. No, I don't want you to say that. In fact, I want you to think of things that you can do, like like things that you can do in response to the darkness. So I just made a list of things to do in the dark. Is what I could think of. And so uh, here's some things you can do when you darkness. You can read a psalm. There's 150 of them. You can read one a day. You can read one in the morning. One at lunch, one at dinner. I don't know, I think I just gave you about six months worth of Bible reading. There's your Bible reading plan for you. Uh, You can start this afternoon. Psalm 1 is a great place to start. It was probably written uh, about or by a guy named Job. Uh, You can read about his life and where he comes kind of to the end of it in this psalm. But you can read a psalm. It's a great way to just kind of, again, chase away the darkness with God's word. The next thing you can do is, uh, I gave you this last week, and I thought I'd just repeat it because many of you commented on it. Uh, as it being helpful, is just make your prayer very simply, three words, God, show me. Just make that your prayer. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I just gave you how to pray. Make that your prayer. Just three little words, God, show me. And then maybe you continue the prayer. God, show me where, where I'm supposed to you know, live my life and how I'm supposed to step out of this darkness and the things that you want me to do in this world. Or maybe you just say those three words, God, show me. And then you just zip it and you just listen for what God has next um similar to reading the bible you could memorize a portion of it our staff has been doing this in fact we've been piloting a program called rooted and we're excited to kind of bring this to our church in january one of the things i love about rooted is it's brought me back to bible uh, scripture memorization and you can do this you can just find a simple verse you can memorize it. it can become kind of like your verse your words Uh, A lot of talk about mantras today. They really steal that from the Christian idea of just memorizing and thinking about and dwelling and meditating on a word. So you can memorize some scripture, get some community around you. As I said, darkness hates the light. And if you feel like you're in darkness, bring some other people in. In fact, uh, Pastor Mike and Justin and myself, we love to see people get connected in community. If there's anything we can do to help you do that, we'd love to. You can serve. In fact, this was Jesus in his darkest moment. The night in which he was betrayed, what did he do? He served his disciples. He, he had a meal for them. And then think about it. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He, he washed their feet, like towel over his arm, dirty, smelly men's feet. Jesus did that as a sign of service. You can worship God. It's not just an hour on Sunday. And then finally, the name Jesus, the name above all names. You can just simply repeat and say this word. There is power in this name. And maybe in all these things, you just begin to get a little bit more honest about where you're at in your spiritual journey. And I want to tell you, because I know some of you, many of you are, are new here to the church, that we really believe that this is a place where everybody's welcome and, and nobody's perfect, not at all, but because of Jesus, anything is possible. And so if you're here, we, we say and we come alongside of you in honesty that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Okay. And i got to explain this little picture here as well, but I really learned this idea of it's it's okay to not be okay from uh, my buddy on the far right. His name's Mark, and my other buddy, TC. Uh, I had a, a really cool experience that I look back on, and it's, it was one of the most profound experiences. In San Francisco, I, I took a class by this guy, Mark Scandrett, and uh, really learned like, through being on the streets of San Francisco with the homeless how desperate people are. In fact, we just had... Halloween last week, and Halloween, you know, you you dress up, and the kids put masks on, and and I remember uh, Mark saying that you know we all wear masks. In fact, the homeless were were many because they just they feel so uh, just so rejected by the world, and so we actually dressed up. It was Halloween, and he took us to a homeless shelter, and it was right in the heart of what's known as the Tenderloin district. We had to he made us walk from the church we had the class at to the homeless shelter, and I'll tell you this walk I will never forget because. I've never seen so many needles on the ground. And I've never seen so many young kids, 12, 13 years old, carrying backpacks. I had to ask, what's in the backpacks? And Mark's like, no, no don't, don't, don't. Those are drugs. Those are kids selling drugs. And prostitution. And, and Mark would say to me, he'd say, you know, you never, never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter to God. And so we'd walk through this area, and we finally got to the homeless shelter, and, and we put on these costumes and, and kind of dressed up as a reminder that everyone has masks. And we just want to tell you here at Bridgeway that this is the kind of place where you can leave your masks and you can find your true identity in Christ. Last thought, last idea as I wrap things up this morning is I want to make a statement of truth and I want to be really clear this morning that you leave here knowing that darkness is not your closest friend. I got to tell you, this is why you have to read the Bible in context because Haman got it wrong. Darkness is not your closest friend. I don't know if he was just having a bad day Or a bad period in his life. But it is not the truth. In fact, you have something that Haman did not. You have Jesus. And Jesus is willing and able to come alongside you. Not as darkness, but as your closest friend. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and to lead us in these moments. And in fact, I want to remind you that Jesus knew that darkness. If that line, darkness is my closest friend, sounds familiar, it's because Jesus lived it. In fact, he tells us that when this period of time came when he went to the cross... That darkness covered all of the land. And then Jesus cried out in this loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, you may feel abandoned, but Jesus experienced full abandonment. You may feel this darkness, but Jesus died in it and three days later conquered it. Darkness is not your worth or your value, but Jesus can and so I know it's no fun to think about darkness. I don't like looking for darkness or or trying to find it. But I do know that it's in those places, in those moments, when I find myself my, the most reliant on God and the most able to hear from Him and to turn towards Him. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that as well. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I thank you for this, this psalm, this song, this prayer. and. While it's odd and difficult and, and maybe even down, this is a place of honesty. And so God, I just want to play pray with that honesty as well, just here as a church and a community, that for anyone that's going through this darkness, that you would be their light this morning. That the greatest light did come into the world to face and to conquer all, all darkness. And his name is Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know him and you simply you're hearing this and your heart is beating and you want to know him, you can invite him into your heart. You can just simply say, Jesus, come into my heart. Give me this newness of life that you promise. I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your grace and your mercy. So I give you my life now. And for any person who does that, it's the promise of God that he will come in and he'll begin to make you all new. So God, we thank you for that reality and we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you now. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the sermon discussion guide.